Okay, I think we're live. Welcome to a very, very special edition of Coffee, Eggs and Inspiration. We're coming to you on a live stream from Google, sort of virtual Google. This is my Google home office. I'm in London. Maya Bruni, who's joining me, is in Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, and uh, okay, I'm really, live. really Welcome happy to... to uh, very, very special really, really happy to have Maya with us. I'll give her a brief uh, introduction. Maya is a British athlete and Olympic contender uh, for the Tokyo Olympics in her chosen disciplines of 200 metres, 400 metres and 4 by 400 She's the European Junior Championship uh, winner uh, or bronze medalist, I should say, in the 200 metres, the 4 by 100 and the 4 by 400 from 2017. She broke a 30-year standing record on the 200 metres um, held by previously by Shirley Thomas in 2017 in the European Juniors. In 2018, she won gold uh, in the British Universities and College Sports Championship in 400 and 4x100, and in 2019, uh, won gold uh, in the 400 metres in the same competition. Uh, if that's not enough, Maya's also a graphic designer, and she's currently completing a master's degree in um, user experience design. Maya, that sounds like an awfully busy schedule. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. Really appreciate it. It's early in the morning, I think it's something like 7 a.m. in uh, Atlanta, Georgia, uh, which is your training base at the moment. Um, let's start by uh, talking about your daily schedule. Give us a, uh, a sense of a day in life uh, in the life of Maya Bruni right now, balancing studies and training. Right, so right now I'm in Atlanta training with my coach, Dwight Dwight, who's a world champion, lifetime world champion, and Olympic champion. So I have a coach that not only has performed at that international level, but has actually performed at the best competing and has that experience. So he's in an Olympic training regime, which means that I go on Saturday, uh, so Monday, Tuesday. Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, I will be at the gym in the morning. So I'll get there around 6 a.m. And then I'll train in the flat from about 8, 9 a.m. to about 12. Then the rest of my time I spend recovering. So that will be getting chiropractic um, treatment, getting massages, um, doing all types of physical recovery to make sure that I'm going to get to the So even though we get Wednesday and Sunday off days, um, we still have to use those days wisely. We can't go out and have fun and try and do too much walking around because we need to make sure that we're conserving that energy for the people it, well, it sounds amazingly busy. Um, your uh, audio is a little bit muffled, so if you can sort of speak up a little bit and come come a little closer to the the mic, that'd be that'd be great. Uh, so very early starts, lots of training mixed with study, and I don't, I'm not sure where you get time with, uh, for, for social life. Hopefully there's a little bit of that as well. <laughs> yeah, and we do we do make time to do um, group, group outings. You know, we do get together as a group. So, yeah, we do try and find a couple hours in the week <laughs> to fit that in. Fantastic. Well, that's very important. I can hear you really loud and clear now, so thank yeah. you for that. Um, why Atlanta, Georgia? What, what are you doing over there? Why aren't you in the UK? Well, the warmer weather... For starters, during the summer, we have highs of about 33, 35 degrees, which is 
amazing for track training because most of the time we're outdoors. Um, the warmer it is, the faster you can run. That tends to be the rule. Um, and I would also say because that's where my coach, Dwight Phillips, that's where he is based and that's where he's from. So he trains here with a group and it's an international group. So I have other athletes that are performing, uh, competing for Guyana, um, Nigeria, um, and obviously America, and now myself. So we have a really broad range of athletes from different countries. So it's not just Team GB. Uh, it sounds like th these these are probably your future competitors, right, in the Olympics. Yeah, exactly. It's it's the first group I've been in where I'm actually training alongside potentially someone I'd have to line up against in a race on the grand stage. So I'm grateful for that opportunity because if you're training against your competitors, you are gaining that extra knowledge and how to keep them <laughs> at the same time, you know, and it's, it's a strange dynamic because we're also off the track, we're great friends. And I think that's what makes the group so, like family. It does make it like family. Well, it sounds, sounds like a strange dynamic indeed. Um, is, there, is it weird? I mean, do you, do you try to keep some of the things uh, private so you're not giving away competitive information? I mean, how much is shared there? We are a pretty open group. I think the mentality in our group is that we want everyone to do well because if they're doing well, that means I'm doing well. Because at the end of the day, it's about bringing the group up. So there's a team aspect to what we do, which is a bit strange because track and field is an individual sport, which means a lot of it is on us. A bit strange in a pandemic year when a lot of things are completely out of our control. Um, but having that team and being able to be open and share ideas and share recovery methods actually forces us to become a better training group. We actually help each other. So if an athlete gets injured, we're going to be the point of advice to try and help them to get back because at the end of the day, I need my training partner to run quickly because that pushes me. Interesting, because I always sort of imagine track, uh, track and field to be largely an individual sport, but it sounds very much, at least in the preparation, to be uh, more of a team sport. Um, f fantastic. I mean, what a weird year it's been, 2020, right? So, you know, this is um, uh, one of a... Uh, a series of talks we're doing around the topic of well-being and I want to get in into that uh, with you because I think there's a lot that we can learn from how you've managed this in terms of resilience and uh, energy and, and mental health and and so on and um, the way top athletes work as I understand it um, is you sort of build up to this peak so you're absolutely at the peak just before uh, the Olympics which of course was cancelled in 2020 and, and hopefully now will happen in 2021. Um, does that mean that you have to just stay at that peak level of fitness between, uh, you know, this year and, and next year? Is, is that weird? Is it difficult to keep the energy up in that time? Well, just like everybody else, um, it, the news hit me in March. Um, that's kind of when I found out, you know, that, okay, there's a pandemic. But I tricked myself and I just thought, okay, well, Feb you know, April, this will be done you know I didn't assume that this would you know still be a thing now and I think I did that because as an athlete you don't want to think that the Olympics is going to be postponed it's something that we train for four years for you know it's a, it's a massive cycle of training and for that to be postponed an extra year seems a bit of um, a drag to think at least you know I do think oh we're going to have to do another year of training and I think having to change my perspective on that situation was key 
to me being able to train this year. I had to see it as, okay, I've got another year to prepare myself. I have another year of opportunity to make sure that I'm in great shape for next year. And I think keeping that level of performance, keeping that level of training is incredibly difficult. Of course, you know, due to the restrictions, they closed gyms, they closed tracks in London. And I was in London at the time. So it was incredibly hard to even just get my usual training sessions in. We do a lot of loads. So we do a lot of running, a lot of lifting, and I couldn't do any of that. So I had to make room to try and do it in parks. Uh, I downloaded an app even to try and do it with a jump rope app that I did at home. Um, I was doing my core exercises at home. Just anything just to keep me in shape. Um, to be honest, my main goal was to try and stay at my race weight. Um, that's something that I decided, okay, if everything else is out of my control, this can be in my control. So let me just stay at my race weight so no matter what happens, I'll be ready to run regardless. Um, so I made that my my key goal. Stay at your race weight. And, and does that require uh, a, a fairly strict um, regimen around diet? Um, how, how do you manage that? Talk us through staying at your weight, uh, race weight. Well, um, weight is actually completely um, affected by stress. That's the best way of explaining this. And my chiropractor actually explained to me that there are five forms of stress. Physical, mental, nutritional, chemical, and electromagnetic. And just to go through those a little bit. So physical stress, obviously, with our training, we have a lot of physical stress. Mental stress, just being in that routine every day. Sometimes that can just build up. Anxiety, you know, it can build up very easily. Nutritional stress, making sure that our diets are low inflammatory foods is really important. So not so much fried food, uh, more eating more vegetables, and um, that is the key for us. And then when it comes to chemical stress, we're looking at the products that we use every day. That could be as small as the deodorant brand that you're using. Sounds really crazy. But the chemicals inside your deodorant that you're putting on every day, what's inside that? You know, can you switch that to a more organic brand? And it's crazy, but little things like that in technical make a huge difference. We're working with the thousands of seconds. Um, and then electromagnetic, we're looking at screen time, you know, how often are you watching the news? How often are you checking your emails? Can you cut down that screen time? Because it creeps up in you, that stress does creep up in you, you know, without realizing you're actually building up your anxiety levels. So managing those five forms of stress is key to running for. Well, I'm, I'm sure I, I certainly relate, and most Googlers watching this would relate to the electromagnetic stress. I think we spend hours and hours a day on uh, on screens, just like we are at the moment. Um, so I I, uh, I, I certainly res uh, relate to that uh, as well. We're live streamed, so just a reminder to those who who are joining us live: you can uh, ping a question across if you've got a burning question to ask Maya. I'll keep an eye on the uh, the chat on on the uh, on the screen here. And, uh, and and read that out um, if you have a question. Let's talk about mental strength. Um, you've, you've spoken a little bit about staying at your race weight and sort of breathing in and thinking, okay, I've got to do this for another year. Um, but it can't be it can't be easy. And I think all of us um, are, uh, are probably struggling with that in uh, you know in some way. There's this sort of we're coming in and out of lockdown. You know who knows when. Uh, a, a scalable vaccine is going to be there. Uh, talk us through um, your techniques for 
managing your mental health, your mental attitude? So for starters, I think breathing exercises is something that I implemented actually a couple of years ago and meditation. And that really helped just calm me down and keep me in a space where my mind was very clear. So breathing exercises, I would say, is a, is a huge step for me. Um, even downloading that app Headspace, I found that really a key, simple app that you can do every day, and I found that helpful. And most recently, when I came to Atlanta, my training partner suggested this to me, and it was writing positive affirmations on post-it notes and sticking them around your house. And those you post-it notes could be goals, it could be 2021 Olympics, it could be simply things like you can, you must, you will. Writing things down and sticking them around and reading them to yourself. Because positive self-talk is so important. How do you speak to yourself is really important, especially when you're by yourself at home, you're coming back from training, you're in this routine of, you know, it, it can get quite lonely as well, you know. So it's about making sure that you have got those things that mostly the boundaries that you can do that to yourself. And I found that actually that helps the moment extent because you implement that belief in yourself that no matter what happens, I can always find my feet, I can always land in my feet. And I think that's that was the key this year because there was so much so much that was going on externally that as I said earlier, which is completely out of your control. You have to try and find things, okay, this I can work on this part of myself. And I think this year really is a huge opportunity to brush up on those things that maybe I wouldn't have thought of last year. So, uh, uh, you know, a few themes there that are, that are golden. Uh, control the controllables, Headspace, the app. I've used it myself. Uh, there's another one called Calm, which is quite good, which is, which, is, uh, which is around meditation and keeping that internal dialogue positive by by reinforcing uh, some of the uh, some of the things that um, that you want to achieve, we've got some live questions coming in here, so I'll flip over there for a moment. Alex Phillips is asking any de deodorants we should avoid. <laughs> oh well, uh, I don't know if I can really name too many brands, but um, I think it's really key just to read the ingredients. And normally, a deodorant that has anything more than about four ingredients, you shouldn't be using it. <laughs> That's really a key. Um, Thing to see, you know, the ingredients, and especially on your cleaning products at home, dish soap, um, your soap, hand soap. Uh, I know hand sanitizers nowadays, that's what we're using all the time, but what hand sanitizer are you using? If you're just buying one from Boots, what's in that? You're putting that on your hands every day, your, your body is absorbing those chemicals. So just uh, prefer natural ingredients. The fewer ingredients, the better. Um, great advice there. James Batchelor's come in here, and, and you might need to translate this acronym TNF. I'm a huge fan of TNF, but when I talk to many other sports fans, or track and field, I guess, um, their hesitation is around doping issues and the integrity of the sport. Uh, so rather a controversial question. Yeah. Is enough being done by athletes and authorities to, uh, to address this doping issue? Well, the starters, um, when you become an elite athlete, you have to go onto a program called ADAMS. ADAMS is an acronym, basically it's an anti-doping system where you have to upload your whereabouts. It's, we are probably the only sport that has to do this to such a degree. We have to say literally where we are from like 9am to 4am every day. So it can get pretty stressful for athletes. And if you miss three tests in the year, you can get banned for two years. So we're very strict about, you know, doping rules. 
And I think the most important thing is that that's being educated with athletes from a young age now. So in 2017, when I was 19 years old, I had to do something called clean athletics qualification. So what that did, it was an online course for young athletes to make sure that you understood what the rules are, you knew that what supplements you can take, what supplements you can't take, and also what to do if you're put into a position where a coach is putting that pressure on you. Because there are situations where athletes have been forced or felt pressured to do something because their coach has told them. So all of this stuff is really important. I, I think the education around it has to continue because that's the best way um, athletes will know, you know, where they are stand when it comes to certain supplements. So clearly a, a lot being done already. Um, it's, it sounds like a hugely complex minefield. Um, I think uh, what, what James um, is building on here is um, with all of that that you've just described, do you think there's anything missing? Should more uh, on top of all of that be, be done in your view? And if you could just um, project your voice a bit more, it's a little bit muffled again. In, in my view, I think at the moment they're doing the best they can. Um, it, again, it's quite interesting that track and field, we are, doping is brought up quite a bit with our sport. And when you actually look at the distance in other sports such as football, you notice that in football there's probably more athletes that are doping compared to track. But because track and field is an individual sport and you know we don't work with teams, therefore the money and the sponsorships are very individual. So that means that you notice that football players, they tend to actually be able to, they don't get as much PR when it comes to those kind of situations. Right, right. Well, great answer. And James has thanked you for the answer. Very comprehensive answer indeed. Thank you for, for sharing that. Uh, Guy asks, with your busy schedule, I'm curious to learn how are you disconnecting from your daily routine during COVID time? Great question, Guy. Thank you. Um, I would say ooh, disconnecting from my daily routine. It's quite hard. I just try to make sure that when I come home, I'm home. And I, I really try to make sure that I give that time to myself. And I understand that nowadays there's a lot of home offices, right? So it can get pretty hard to separate, right? It can get pretty hard to separate work from home. And I think it's really important to know that your home is your space. So when you come home, try and make sure that you have that space where you can just relax, put something on Netflix, uh, read a book. As I said before, meditate, stretch, use that time at home to do something that's completely separate to what you would do on the track or in the office. Netflix, any any recommendations? What are you, what are you watching at the moment? Oh, actually, I'm watching something on HBO, but I think you can find it on Sky. Um, it's called The Undoing. The Undoing. Okay, well, really watch good. out for that. <laughs> yeah. Good good time to be binging on Netflix yeah. and YouTube and other other channels like it. Um, thanks for the questions. Please keep them coming, those of you who are uh, uh, on the live stream. Uh, let's talk for a moment, just switch tacks and talk about graphic design. Um, and uh, it, it just seems very different, right? You're a, an elite Olympic level athlete in track and field and a graphic designer. Is there anything that connects those two? Well, there's a few things for sure. I think as a track and field athlete, we look at simple things like the clothes that we're wearing. At the moment, I run for my team um, in the UK, but I also have my team in Atlanta now, which is called the Winner's Circle, and I've been put in charge of designing their kit. 
so I've had a great time and doing that with the team um, and just doing some of the designs and I've actually uh, released quite a few of them on um, my design Instagram in the event of a fire um, and I've just loved doing that and it's been such a great opportunity for me as well to just understand how kit design works and so hopefully we should be seeing those in a few months and it has been delayed because of COVID but um, I'm really excited to see the finished product. And Instagram, your Instagram is the best place to find it for, for now, what you're doing. I'll, I'll, I'll link that below in the description when the recording uh, goes out on uh, on YouTube. Uh, fantastic. Let's switch back now um, to resilience. And, you know, you've had a, a year of Olympics on, Olympics off, um, lockdown, uh, gyms available, gyms not available, tracks available, tracks not available, uh, managing a master's course, um, and as a as an athlete, um, you know you you have to be in the zone, I guess, and and have it must be very nerve wracking, you know, the thought of appearing in front of a stadium of people and a and a global television audience. I mean, how how do you, um, you know, what what are the techniques that you use uh, to uh, stay focused and not allow the the nerves or the distractions or frustrations to interfere with your uh, with your mind space there. Well, in the build up to a race, I tend to stay away from my phone, so I'll minimise my notifications. Um, maybe even just delete Instagram off my phone um, because I don't even want to see any sort of. Um, either negative posts, negative comments, or even just the build-up to it. Um, you know, for example, the promoters are going to say things. It's quite similar to boxing, quite funny enough. I've got my Muhammad Ali t-shirt on, um, who's actually a great, um, you know, example of resilience. Um, but, yeah, you know, you need to see that in track and field, the promoters are going to try and create a rivalry almost as well. You know, they have got a favourite in the race. They're going to try and... Um, put you against someone else they might even use that just to drum up you know excitement for the race and as an athlete you don't want to be involved in that you need to just focus on getting to the start line in perfect shape and being able to perform in the day so my biggest objective is you know turn off notifications stay away from that and stay focused um, and the way I also do that on the week of competition our training tends to relax a bit um, we, take, we do something called tapering off where you literally just do um, very specific technical drills uh, just to enhance those um, muscles to just move quicker for your race. So you're not going to do too much running. So it's going to be a really gentle week. So that whole week, you're, the most important thing is putting your mind in shape, <laughs> which sounds a lot easier than really what it is, but it is quite hard because it's about staying focused, not having those conversations. And it's, it's pretty funny because um, I'd say sometimes my own mother <laughs> um, can sometimes get very excited, you know, before a race because she's Italian as well. So you can only imagine that, you know, the excitement and also just the um, energy that she brings. And sometimes it's really important just to be able to be open with family and just be like, okay, I need this time to just focus by myself and, just, you know, get ready for this competition. But, yeah, exactly. But it's great to have the support always. And, and that's what it's like as an athlete. You know, you have to have a support network that understands you and can be okay and not, and doesn't take things personally. You know, that's, that's the thing. 
Well, I know your your family, uh, your mum and dad and, and sister have been a great uh, a great part of your uh, your success and, and remain so. Um, looks like we've got a special guest here, Sam Fenton. That's actually my son. I wasn't <laughs> I wasn't uh, expecting him. Hello, Sam. Um, no question at the moment, but do feel free to ask one. We've got a question here from Stefan Trinan. Uh, thanks, Stefan, for the question. Uh, thanks for taking the time. I, as a sprinter, your performance is very transparent. What did the COVID period do to your personal bests this year and why? Well, um, for starters, there were no races for me to compete in. Um, this was also because I wasn't able to get to Atlanta as there were restrictions in my travelling. So my personal best, I didn't manage to set any this year. Um, unfortunately, that means that I will be going into next year without having done many races. But I'm not too concerned because in my training, we make sure that we we do kind of race modules. So we try and simulate a, a race in training. So I, I'm not too bothered about that. Um, I just miss the crowd. I miss the fans. I miss that energy that you get from competing on a, on a stage. Um, I, I'm looking forward to the indoor season, which will start in December and finish around February. And the way things are going in 2021, from what I've been hearing from Japan, is that it should be going ahead. So I'm staying pretty optimistic that next year is going to be a go. And my training is geared up towards that. And I think that's that's the only thing I can tell myself. I have to tell myself that, you know, 2021 is happening, even if there's a few questions around it. Um, and I need to be able to wake up every day with that goal in my mind. And that's what keeps me pushing that thing. Well, uh, brilliant, and and uh, I suppose you're you're not alone, right? Uh, I, I guess other athletes are in the same uh, position. Another great question here from James. Thanks for the question, James. Last year, uh, I saw some experimental events like mixed relays, male and female, gender mixed uh, uh, relays. I thought they were great to watch. Any other innovative ideas you've seen or heard coming or would like to see? Well, uh, the mixed relays, I thought that was great as well. Um, that was at the World Relay Championships, um, which, fingers crossed, I might be going to next year as well. Um, so we'll see. Um, but, yeah, other innovative ideas. They were thinking about a hurdle relay, um, which is pretty interesting. Get the hurdlers um, to do a relay. I don't know how that's going to work with passing the baton, because, as you know, hurdlers are very aggressive when they cross the line, because they have to be to get there. Um, so that could be quite an interesting, really pretty dangerous one too, maybe. Sounds incredibly dangerous. Yeah, definitely uh, entertaining to, to watch. Have you ever been involved in a mixed uh, race yourself? Um, I haven't been involved in a mixed race. Um, I do think, though, a lot of it would be tactical in terms of where you position. As you know, male athletes are faster than female athletes. Um, that's just that because of um, our physical. Um, so, you know, it'll be interesting to see. I noticed some teams, they like to put a male athlete first, then two female athletes, and then end on a male athlete. Other teams switch it around and do the other way. But there's no rules on how you can position the athletes in the relay. So sometimes you notice that uh, one team will end on a female, but the gap hasn't been built up enough. So you see people getting overtaken at the last line. So they are really entertaining, and you know, I, I look forward to hopefully being part of that. Yeah, brilliant. Uh, they, they sound very um, interesting, and as James says, good for TV potentially. It'd be a, a fascinating thing to watch with the tactics and, and that sort of thing. There is a there is a difference. You, you you referred to that in times. It's not a huge difference, though. It's fair to say, isn't it? I mean, two hundred meter time. I think 
what's your personal best? Twenty three, something like that. Yeah, low twenty three, so twenty three zero four. And and what would be you know an elite performer at the same level in the male category? What uh, what would um, they do? I mean, I've seen men run nineteen. I mean, that's the world record. It's a mid nineteen seconds. Yeah. Um, but you know, male athletes probably my same age are probably running about twenty one, twenty high twenty seconds. So. Yeah. You know, it's. I feel like the gap is probably between. It's always around one second. Like if we're looking at Olympic champions, it's going to be around maybe one second. One second. Yeah. So it's. It sounds it's, like a lot, by the way. It doesn't sound like a lot, but uh, one second is in track and field. It you do see that as a gap. It's an eternity. Well, that's a really interesting um, segue into into the next question. I remember the last time we spoke, not on this uh, call, but uh, a previous one. You were talking about um, your training regime and success in Atlanta, and I think you've you've made some huge improvements, haven't you, in your personal best and you, your time? Can you talk about the margins that you're operating with there, and and um, what sort of progression that you've seen? So when I came to Atlanta, I knew I was joining the group that had uh, 400 meter sprinters, and for me, I wanted to make sure that I could who were 400 meters in a better time. So when I came there, I had a time of 53 seconds, um, which is pretty fast. Um, but I know that compared to some American athletes, they're running a lot quicker than me. Um, so I was straight away exposed to a group that I wasn't doing that great in when I first got here. You know, I, I was struggling fitness-wise even because um, some of our sessions would be 300 meters uphill, which can get pretty tiring can get pretty tiring so it wasn't something i was used to at all and so coming into a group that did that and doing that sort of training after two months three months i noticed a second two second difference in my 400 meter target time which means we set target times every month and you do a 400 meter race to see where you're at and it's, it's a race, but it's also a personal thing where you would just drop down in your notebook and just see your progression. And when I first got there, I did it in 60 seconds. And by the time I had to come back to London, I was hitting 53 seconds. So it was like a seven second difference in training, which is pretty insane. And it was just a testament to the work that I had done and just a great positive feedback, you know, to tell me that, hey, look, this move to Atlanta, though it was very spontaneous, um, probably the most spontaneous move I've made, but I think it was worth the jump. I mean, yeah, uh, seven seconds, and uh, that's against the baseline of 60, I think you said? Yes, a baseline so, of 60, yeah, yeah. So more than over 400 metres, and that's uh, more than a 10% improvement, obviously. That's um, absolutely extraordinary, and it sort of points to some of the differences uh, between the way that training works in the UK and that the training works perhaps in the US. Um, you talked about uphill running as an example. Are there any other examples that distinguish? Well, we have another session where we do stadium stair runs, um, really long stadium stairs, because the stadiums in America are pretty crazy. You know, we train on a football field and then there's a track around the football field. So the stadiums are real big, serious stadiums that we have to run. And, and not only that, but we do a circuit. So you run to the top of the stadium, you jog back down, you then pull a sled, which will have about 20 kilos on there, pull a sled for 100 metres, and then you'd run a 300 metres. And you do that three times. 
So that's the level of training that I'm at at the moment. And I, if you told me I was going to be doing this a couple of years ago, I would have been laughing. You know, I never thought it would be possible. But it's no doubt why America and Jamaica as well, why they are they tend to be Olympic champions. You know, you do tend to see the American Jamaican flag on the podium at the Olympics all the time. And yeah no wonder why <laughs> they're training it. it sounds absolutely tortuous and uh, to me anyway and, and <laughs> extremely difficult we've got a great question here from carolina thanks carolina for the question maya thanks so much nutrition wise what kind of foods would you advise one to eat before training and how much time beforehand to best perform sounds like a question from one athlete to another great well that's a great question um for me i give myself two hours um, and that's purely because I know that I have a lot of running to do and I don't give myself two hours, I'll throw it up. So, um, so two hours is a, the, a key time frame for me. And the type of food that I eat, well, my mother is a nutritional therapist. So I'm really lucky to have uh, her in my life because she gave me something called an intolerance test, which is actually widely available online. You can actually do that from home. And what that does is it will individualize your diet. Because I could suggest, for example, have a sandwich with um, bacon in the morning. But if your body doesn't break down wheat, that diet is not going to work for you. So this intolerance test really picked out the foods that are best for me. And from there, I was able to say, okay, create a diet plan for, for my wheat, and I can stick within that. And I think that's the, the main thing is really individualizing your plan. But yeah. basically, I would always say that um, porridge, oatmeal, uh, some fruits is always great before training. You know, it gives you enough carbs, it gives you enough energy to last the session. Okay, Inter interesting. And where, where would you go? Where would one go for an intolerance uh, test? Is, are they, you said they're freely available if yeah, people watch it online. Yeah, so if you. Yeah, so if you were to literally just type in, um, you know, do a nice search of an intolerance test, it's something that you could find and, um, you know, they send you a kit to do at home as a pinprick test and then you get your results back. I think it's about three, four weeks to get your results back. But it's a very in-depth report of the foods that are not sitting well with you and the foods that are. So it's, it's very beneficial and you really need to take one in your life. <laughs> so, yeah, I'd, I'd recommend doing that. Great, great advice. I, I have a, uh, a breakfast routine which involves Weetabix and coffee. Tomorrow I'll be changing to porridge with some fruit and that will help me sprint up the stairs to my home much quicker uh, than I did this morning. Thanks so much, Carolina, for the questions. Please do keep the questions coming. They're fantastic questions. Um, talk about uh, your, your plans. We're sort of coming up to the end of the year. You're going to stay in Atlanta. You're going to come back here. So I'm planning to stay here. Um, until the end of January and then hopefully, you know, be able to compete in February at the British Championships. Um, it's also worth noting to say, actually, that I'm in a position where I have also been approached by Italy, um, maybe compete for Italy and switch to the Italian team, which is a massive opportunity um, that actually just recently came up a couple of weeks ago. Um, so I'm in talks now to see maybe I will be going to Italy instead of going back to London. So Things change really quickly in this sport, and so I'm um, I'm just seeing where it takes me. <laughs> you know, right. 
as a as a British citizen, I have to plead with you on behalf of everyone that's watching. Please, please compete for Great Britain. You you might now need to explain why Italy, though. Um, right. No. Um. So my half my family live in Italy, so I've always felt that a great connection with the Italian team. And in twenty seventeen, the European Championships was in Italy. So I. I I don't know, I have this feeling that, you know, it does bring me great performances. So it, it's something that's always been on the back of my mind. Um, but I'll have to see what my options are in terms of how easy is it going to be for me to travel there? Um, how is, is the team management work? So it's still, you know, pretty much up in the air. But um, I should find out, you know, where I stand probably in the next month or so. Fantastic. Well, um, as I say, I, I hope uh, I hope that uh, Britain uh, gets the benefit of your uh, your talent. Um, great question here from Satyan. Thank you, Satyan, for for the question. How and when do you make the decision to change your coach and adapt to a new regime? You might need to answer that one a bit tactically or carefully. Well, um, for starters, you need to see what's what was the issue with your last season, if there was one? Um, so we always have a reflective phase that tends to happen about October. So you look at what what works, what didn't work. It's a bit like you know um, a reflective time, and you just go through, you know, period periodically what you need to work on. And once you've done that, if you feel that the majority of the issues were at fault of your coach or the team that you're training with, rather than your own then you might want to decide, okay, maybe I need to change or maybe I need to sit down with my coach and actually see if things can act, we can work through things. It's a relationship at the end of the day. Um, and it's something that we always need to touch base on. And at the moment with my current coach in Atlanta, the best thing about him is that his communication is great. So we can have touch base, I can just call. It's, you know, really easy relationship with him where I can always, I feel I can always let him know where I'm at and I think that's the most important thing for me it was able to be with a coach that I can share my views with too and make sure that this was more of a collaborative approach rather than just coach telling athlete what to do when athlete doing it I'm someone that loves to also be able to say in what I do and also being trusted I think that trust between both parties is really important um my last coach was brilliant as well um, what my only issue was, I just felt that for my event, which was the 400 at the time, I thought I wanted to push more at, he more did 100 metres. So I wanted to be with a group that actually trained a bit longer, that had a bit more experience doing longer events. So that was my decision for me. Right. Well, the, you, you've answered that incredibly diplomatically. Congratulations for that. Um, the questions are getting more and more controversial. Another one here from Stefan. You've not mentioned money as a motivator. How important is the financial incentive for your decision to focus on your athletic career versus, for example, exploring your other interests in graphic design or, or, or whatever else? Well, I've always, I'm a big believer that if you're passionate about something, you don't need to worry about money because that's gonna come. If you're passionate about something, people are gonna notice that sponsorships are gonna notice that and they're gonna to wanna to pay you because you're showing that passion for it. It's not something that you're doing just because you want to get paid. And I think that's what makes myself as an athlete different from other athletes, is that even if I, I get cut from a sponsorship, even if I don't make a team, 
I'm still going to show up for training because I love what I do. It's not, I'm not just doing this for a financial incentive at all. Um, having said that, though, it would be nice <laughs> to get paid for something that you like to do as well. And of course, this year with coronavirus, it's hard to get out of time. And that's something that sponsorships are looking for. So I was with Puma up until 2019, and my plan was to be able to compete this year and then get another four year contract. Obviously, this year that didn't happen. So that's a bit of a delay on my plan for sponsorship and funding. But it's not something I stress about because I know that I'm here training, um, getting the work done. So I know that as soon as I have the opportunity to compete, which will come soon, um, I am pretty sure, I'm pretty confident that I am going to be able to get those performances out there. And I'm going to be able to accept the funding that I need to continue. Um, so, yeah, money as a motivation, I, I don't, it hasn't worked for me. But I know that there are athletes that it does work for them. So it's, I think it's pretty... Is a personal thing, you know, personal, personal preference. Well, so uh, I think there's some great advice. There were a few um, audio issues there, so I'll sort of repeat the essence of, of what you said, um, which is the message to focus on the passion. You do what you do because you love it, and money will follow, um, not always in the pattern that you would like. You were with Puma uh, up until uh, 2019, of course, uh, Puma, like many other big brands, uh, have had to revisit their uh, their uh, priorities, I guess, um, in the context of COVID in 2020. Uh, but that's cool. Uh, you're patient, and the next thing will come along soon. What a great question! Thank you, Stefan. I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna give you a closing question here. Um, many people watching um, are business people like me, uh, who are, have had a, a year of lockdown, a year of um, of talking on screens like we are at the moment, uh, tremendous uncertainty and a bit of a routine that sometimes feels like it it never changes. Um, what advice uh, would you have that, that you found helpful and you've talked of, of, of a few ideas, what advice would you have for people like me in business um, uh, that, that can keep you motivated, excited and energised for the future? I would have to go with my post-it note idea simply because it's the easiest one to do and you can even just stick them on your computer screen and it's something that you can just read every day, you can tick off things every day and it gives you that sense of achievement. If you were to set short goals, I think now that's the key. Don't think too long term, um, you know, keep, keep things like short and sweet. So what do you want to achieve today? What do you want to achieve this week? And I think that's the most important thing. And if you can write those down and tick those off every day, you're going to feel motivated to keep going. And I, I that's probably my best advice. <laughs> I love that. So positive affirmations on the post-it notes. And you, you mentioned short-term goals. And I, I need to hold this up to the camera. Uh, I've got these post-it notes. The, these are my goals today. There's three <laughs> things. Uh, these are my goals for this week. Three things. And I've got. <laughs> I've got a one month, but that uh, that's about as far out as it as it goes. So I think that's great advice. We'll we'll leave it there today. I really appreciate you joining me early morning uh, from Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, I wish you um, all the very best for the training and the lead up to the Olympics. I hope to see you in the Olympics. Hopefully for for Great Britain, if not uh, for for Italy. You're an absolute inspiration, uh, Maya Bruni. Thank you very much for joining me today. Thank you for having me, Craig. Thank you.